<laughs> so good. All right, everybody. So we've got another episode of Lifestyle Medicine today, and today I've got David Way. So David, if you would do me the honors, um, can you kind of give the audience the the lineage that you are associated with um, in the martial arts tradition you're, you're associated with, and then from there we can kind of dive into deeper questions, but I don't want to butcher that part. <laughs> no worries. Uh, I've been training for a number of years and under a number of different teachers and lineages. However, the one that I ascribe to is the Wudang Zhang lineage. I spent a good five years under the direct instruction of my teacher, Yuan Shugang, and uh, I inherited that system. I'm a 16th generation lineage holder. Beautiful. And, you know, I originally crossed paths with you years back. I want to say it was in the 2005 or six range. It was it was a while back, and it was on MySpace. Yeah. Like when, yeah. when MySpace. Before I went to China. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, when MySpace was still a thing and we connected through Eden Critchfield, who I believe was someone you knew in college. Is that right? Was that um, where you guys connected? So my big brother, I used his uh, ID as my fake ID. (laughs) Oh, Eden, I hope you're listening on this one. That's great. (laughs) Um, So very cool. So he had he had he had said to me years back because at the time I was dating his sister and he said to me, He's like, man, you gotta, you guys have such kindred uh, interests, you know, and you guys are pretty kindred in, the, in like the things you're really all about. And he's like, you gotta look this guy David way up. And I looked you up, um, and I started corresponding with you at a real basic level. And the things that struck me right away that I really was moved by was that for one, you were passionately pursuing the martial arts, and you had gone on the pilgrimage. You would like, you had really gone to China and were doing that, that really romantic thing that a lot of guys want to do, where they want to go out and like you know, go live on a mountain and train Kung Fu. So that really got me um, at the time. I was I was moved by that and inspired by that. And then I sort of stayed and watched your progression as you were just training on the mountain. And I was getting to see some of your pictures and the things you were doing. And I mean, like I said, that whole process was just romantic and ethereal. And I was like, man, what a cool thing to be doing. You know, I was, uh, you know, green with envy in a very good way. But if you could talk about that process a little bit, like what got you to the mountain? How did you find yourself in that place? Um, and maybe give a little context to what the mountain is, because I think there's a lot of people that do know and a lot that don't. For sure. Um, and before I get into that answer, I do want to speak to the the romanticism sure. around <laughs> this journey, this kind of fairy tale lifestyle that I embarked on. Sure. And I want you to know that I could relate to that view because that's what initially attracted me to China was I saw a crouching tiger and I was really attracted to that, as you say, romantic view of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ancient China. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I got there, it was, uh, quite a surprise that China is not what we see it as or envision it as mm-hmm. modern China is not the romantic China that we're used to. It's more, more likened to a big Chinatown in any major city than anything. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hustle bustle. It's very modern. It's very developed. And so thank you for still feeling the romantic aspect of, of my story in, sure. in that I made it a point to sell that image. Mm-hmm. Because I really wanted to speak to that aspect of the experience almost to fool myself. <laughs> right? It's like kidding myself. It is beautiful out here. It is. It is. I swear it is. I swear. Right. Right. And so on one hand, it's like, yes, I'm, I'm telling a story. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I'm trying to convince myself with that story too. Right. Because the reality of living in China is not romantic at all. And uh, I actually forced myself to stay well past the honeymoon phase mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I really had that, that dream of having that experience, but, uh, I eventually left and never got it. <laughs> understand, <laughs> understand that modern China is yeah. a whole new. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. But, uh, that wasn't what you asked. You had asked, uh, what brought me there and, what the experience was like. Yeah. Yeah. How you got there. Um, yeah. So like what, what took you there, what the experience was like, and then giving a little context to what, um, you know, the Wudong system and mountain is. So people that don't have any framework for this can kind of plug into it. Got it. Uh, I first found out about Wudong, oddly enough, through the music of Wu-Tang Clan. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, like any young kid that was a fan of their music, I really enjoyed all the Kung Fu movie samples. And there was a, a time of my youth, I was in high school, I think it was, and I would go to Blockbuster Video <laughs> and I would just rent all the Kung Fu movies and watch them back to back to back looking for where the samples came from. Mm. And uh, there was one particular movie, Master Killer, 36 Chambers. And that particular movie was rich with samples that had been in the songs. And that particular movie uh, really highlighted the training aspect. Uh, you know, most Kung Fu movies is like, ha I'm the best and I can beat everybody. Ha ha. But right. some movies actually take the time to have a story arc where the main character has to grow and develop and overcome obstacles and then finally get the revenge or whatever. You know? Right. And then so this particular movie is like two something hour, three hours, but a big chunk, maybe you're familiar spent on the training and development of this main character mm -hmm. and that's what inspired me to pursue the art because it here's this average joe kind of goes through this training montage and then comes out a hero and that really spoke to me because i didn't feel empowered in my youth i felt weak as a youth i felt challenged and bullied i felt i had obstacles that that i had to overcome and i was inspired by that movie and saw that Kung Fu might be an avenue for me. And uh, if anything, I might get strong out of it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of what got me into martial arts. Yeah. So then I first knew about Wu-Tang through the music. Mm -hmm. And I got, in through, got into the training through the movies. And, you know, of course, as a youth, uh, yeah, I saw Karate Kid and I did karate as a kid. And, you know, I did that. But that's just what kids do, you know, and parents put the kids through the curriculum. And, but as far as me specifically choosing to train as an adult, finding my school, finding my teacher, making an, a choice to right. pursue this, right. uh, was from that experience. Mm. So then now I'm training first five years of martial arts, all fighting. Mm -hmm. I was in Hawaii with Ida, mm -hmm. right? uh, went to University of Honolulu. And so while there, Hawaii is a melting pot for martial arts being right there in the Pacific. Right. And so you get you get Japanese, Chinese, Filipino, Korean, Portuguese, right. Native Hawaiian, mm -hmm. uh, contemporary American. Like you get all these martial methods like mixed together. And uh, so every week I tried something new. And I stuck to one teacher that encouraged me to explore. Mm -hmm. Um but I really got a, a strong martial base early on. So I did five years of all fighting. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, the more I knew how to fight, the less I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I realized I could break limbs, but I didn't know how to mend them. And so I elevated from my fighting career into my healing uh, career. And I spent another good five years exploring body work, Twayna, nutrition, fasting, herbs, acupressure, lifestyle, you know, mm -hmm. all these other. Uh, so five years of fighting, five years of healing. And then that's when we were talking because I wanted to go to China mm -hmm. and explore the spirit. Yep. And that's when I found the Temple Academy. I spent some time there, became a disciple and um, really spent a good five years, over 11,000 hours. Uh, exploring the spiritual aspect. Mm -hmm. uh, when I finished my time in the temple, my teacher said that uh, I should open a temple of my own. And so I was fortunate enough to travel the world for a number of years and kind of earn my stripes as a young teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, shortly after that, I met my wife, settled down in my hometown of the Bay Area, and opened my school. Which is, which is entitled what? Wudong West Cultural Heritage Center. Beautiful. And how long have you had that open? How many years has it been officially? We officially got established in 2012, where we got our articles of incorporation and bylaws and, right. and all that cool 
all that corporate stuff. So we did that officially in 2012, but I had been teaching under this moniker for the last decade. Yeah. You, yeah, right. You've been doing quite a bit. So just to flush out a couple of details on that. So when you were training for the five years, um, you know, when you were doing the healing work and whatnot, the time you spent in China, when you were actually at the temple during that time, if I remember correctly, you weren't there full time, like throughout every season of the year, right? There were periods where you would come back. Is that accurate? Or were you living there yeah. full time for any length of time? Was that, or was it kind of like, Both. you know, come back to the States, live there for a few months, yeah. come back? Both. Um, I first saved up for two years. I went in 2003 to just kind of visit. And I realized I wanted to be there. So I saved up for two years to go for three months. Wow. Then at the end of that three months, I was so heartbroken because I thought I'd never make it back. Mm. And I'm I'm okay with going public with this. Uh, I went back in the fall after those three months and... uh, California had just passed a medical marijuana statute Mm -hmm. and I got invited to work on a farm. Yeah. And in one month I made enough money working (laughs) on this farm to spend a whole year in China. Yep. And so I went back immediately and I proceeded to spend 10 months of each year in China at the temple. And, uh, the, the remaining one month, I would come home in the fall again for harvest time so I could make more money. Mm -hmm. And also my mother's birthday is in the fall. And so I would come and be a good son. Yeah. Good for you, man. But otherwise I was in China. Yeah. 10 hours a day. Yeah. I mean, that's again, you know, um, it's, it's amazing and it's a, it's a really cool and I'm not sure if you've caught the, the, so the first episode of this podcast about 10 months ago, I interviewed um, Javier Rodriguez, who was one of Dr. Yang Zhuang Ming's disciples, and he lived Javi, on. Javi, the... yeah, he's a homie. Yeah, yeah, Javi's great. So, um, so he's amazing, you know. And I met him while I was on the mountain, and he, you know, it was a very similar kind of conversation where you guys share some similar threads there in terms of he spent ten years on the mountain, nine years technically. You know, he came in the second year program, but it was the same kind of thing, right? It's like, you know, eight to ten hours a day, nonstop for for many years, and so I think. Just, you know, the acknowledgement I like I gave him and I would like to give you too is that I think it's a beautiful rhythm to embark upon and to engage in nowadays because the way the world is and just the speed of mo- of the modern culture and of technology, you get this was like the antithesis to that, you know, where you're actually going back to just analog moving your body and learning about mind, body, spirit. I mean, I think it's a really cool thing to do nowadays and I think it's a uh, whatever you want to call it, a rhythm or a vibration that I think the culture needs to remember <laughs> how important it is to, to do these kinds of things. So, you know, my acknowledgement just to you there on that for, for doing that. And I think it's beautiful. And then yes, um, when you when you were in this process, OK, and you, you said, you know, this is a this is a cool theme. You said very similar in my training, um, which has not been as extensive. But, you know, in my martial art training, that was one of the things I came across. I studied in Tung Chidao for five years Vince Black's system and yeah and he one of the things that he stressed in that system and what you had just kind of mentioned um you know some sentences back which was you know it's real easy to to snap a bone (laughs) but knowing how to mend it or learning learning the medicine um kind of makes you complete in a sense where it's like you've got the martial destructive yang side you've got the restorative healthy yin side and if you want to be complete technically it's really good to understand both and, um, you know, I think a lot of martial artists, um, and maybe in your first five years with all the fighting, maybe you saw that theme too, where they're like fighting was the prominent thing, but these guys' bodies would just get banged up something fierce. It's like contact sports. They come out, um, with pretty serious injury and not having a lot of longevity in their practice. So when you went down this road from that, from the, the fighting to the healing side, were you at the time, were you thinking, you know, I want to work on other people or was it, were you focusing on the healing therapeutic aspects of the art itself for your own personal? Um, I'll tell you how it came about. Actually, I was watching a Shaolin monk performance. Uh, they have a demo troupe that travels the world. They do that Shaolin wheel of life show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that time I had a strong interest. <laughs> so I went <laughs> and like any 
performing arts show, you're going to have an opening act, right? And this particular opening act was a Taekwondo troupe. And it was a sports Taekwondo troupe. And their demonstration was breaking of tile, breaking of ice, breaking of brick, breaking mm. of wood. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the impressive things they did was they put a, a apple at the end of a sword and then someone kicked the apple off and like split the apple and, you know, and it was very impressive, very coordinated, yeah. very, you know, sequenced and executed perfectly. And, you know, the school clearly had their routine set. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I wasn't impressed mm -hmm. and I just saw them break, 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 break. And at the end of each break, someone came with a little broom to sweep off the floor and then break something else and then clean that up and then break something else and clean mm -hmm. that up. And I realized I would have been way more impressed if someone broke some ice and then put it back together. Right. It, it, yeah, break the brick, but then put it back together. Like, mm -hmm. show me something special. Yeah. You know, anyone can. Yeah. And that's when it clicked. And my teacher had a saying and it kind of summed it up really well. Boys break men mend. Mm, I like that. It just shows, you know, an evolution and especially in the conversation of like toxic masculinity and right. you know, this all stuff is so prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. Boys break. I get, yeah, we break things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. hundred percent. But if we're, if we're able to mature and evolve past that, we, we can also mend things and we can also build things and we can also save things. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I think it's really important for us as martial artists and even now in our common era, us as males, you know, to explore this aspect of maturity Agreed. in our work and our skill and our character. Yeah. Agreed, man. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think those are very wise words. Um, I support them fully. And mm. as you're talking about this, you know, it, it gets me, there's so many different areas, man. I've wanted to talk to you like in this kind of context for a long time. So I've had a lot running through my head and <laughs> things I want to pick your brain on, but um, one of the things that has, that, that drew me to, I would say the internal martial arts, the things that drew me to, uh, to, to ultimately to, to Chinese medicine, all of it, what kind of drew me was at the undercurrent, there was something beautiful and elegant about the way the, the lineage presents this stuff. And I think it's a way, it's a really beautiful, artistic and elegant way to present how to navigate life and how to cultivate health and how to even study the martial arts with this, with these primers, you know, these larger concepts, the five element theory and all these things. So was, I guess that my question to you is, is the elegance of at least what I call elegant within the systems, was that ever a draw for you? Um, and if yes, what was it? And if not, what was the draw outside of, um, you know, outside of just the fighting um, and the healing were, were there deeper layers, I guess, to what pulled you into this, this lineage of knowledge? Mm -mm. Yeah, when I discovered that it was all the same shit, mm -hmm. part macular. Yeah. So as to say, oh, you can um, you can swear on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can curse all you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when I realized it was all the same shit, mm -hmm. that's what wanted me to go deeper into it mm -hmm. um and by going deeper into it i, I realized that it was actually going deeper into me mm -hmm. so as to say uh beyond the fighting beyond the healing there's a spiritual aspect right and that's mm -hmm. what i went to the temple to pursue mm -hmm. and so consider a move that can break an arm yeah right you can twist someone's arm and dislocate a shoulder or something mm -hmm. that same exact move done lightly can be a therapeutic stretch right literally the exact same move mm -hmm. minus a little bit of torque right <laughs> and so with that in mind the only distinction between a healing art and a hurting art is me and what dis distinguishes a move from being beneficial for my health or detrimental to my health is the intent I have as a practitioner mm -hmm. and the intent I have when I apply. And so when I realized it was all the same shit, the only difference was me. I was like, oh shit, there's yeah. a whole nother avenue to yeah. explore here in the martial arts. Right. And it it was less about more material to learn. It was more of me to discover. Mm -hmm. 
um, it, it seems nuanced perhaps, but it's, it's a world of distinction. Agreed. Well, those nuances matter. So, yeah. So does that kind of answer your question? It as, does. As to what I saw and yes. Yeah. Yeah. Be- beautiful threads, man, to see. And I, um, you know, very similar, like the things that I've found. I mean, I think it's, I think studying these things, that was the the piece that really got me as well. You know, when I started, I, my first style in college where I got formally studying, I did judo and Shotokan with my dad as a kid, but um, the first one was, a, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called Kuksul Wan, but it was a de- derivative called mm-hmm. Kuksul Do. But it was really taught from an internal, external place. And I remember studying it, man, very, the sentiments that you're saying, like really ring home for me. Like it really, I remember thinking, I don't know what spirit is fully, but something that I can't put a finger on inside is just grinning ear to ear. You know, there was something inside that felt big and happy and uh, it was the first time I had felt it. And I think that's what drew me the most outside of the fighting and outside of all the cool badass things, quote unquote, that come with martial arts. The breaking boards were fun, but it was just how I felt. And I think that was the spirit of the spirit of martial arts, the spirit of movement. And that sort of brings me into the next question. Um, and I asked you this before when we got on our call the first time when I was like, David, I want to get you on. I want to pick your brain. And one of them was, was about this. So, you know, I've heard, and I don't know if this is fully true and I would love to hear how you can flush this out some, but, um, Gong Fu studying, you know, Chinese Gong Fu and yoga, those things having a connection, um, feeding one another, having influencing one another and some martial arts systems, externally reflect that and others not so much and it really seems like at least to my eye there are it's different than yoga but like the movements that I see that I've seen you do uh, I've watched you know some of your YouTube videos and pictures I've seen it looks like a blend of like yoga and kung fu there's like these really dynamic elongated stretches but that are rounded at the same time and still kind of have that internal structure for movement so I would love to hear if you could kind of explain that and break that down and maybe fill in some gaps. Um, I guess the relationship between, if it is between, you know, yoga and Gong Fu or if, you know, Taoist yoga, like how it all fits. Cause those are, those are holes I don't fully get, but I would love to hear your take on all that. Um, I have an answer. It's, it's not neatly packaged with a ribbon and a bow, Sure, but, uh, you know, perhaps I can kind of speak to some of those ideas and from my experience. Yeah. Um, Yoga, as I understand you're asking about it, uh, speaks to the asana practice Mm -hmm. that's commonly practiced these days. Correct. Not necessarily the devotional yoga, the karma yoga. That's exactly right. All the other. Yeah. You're specifically speaking to the asana, the movements. The postures. Yeah, correct. And then when you're speaking to Kung Fu, you're speaking to a movement-based system of self-defense, not so much the ethic of hard work over time. Correct. Correct. Good. So how do martial movements and yoga as a movement practice dovetail and how that relates to my expression? Exactly. You're right on. You, <laughs> you, 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 you translated perfectly, man. <laughs> okay. Cool, cool. Um, you know, there's only so many ways that you can move the body. Um, we relate it to Bagua in a sense, like uh, take your finger, for example, you have up, down, left, right, in, out, twist, twist, mm-hmm. eight basic directions. Right. And most, most every joint, shoulder, for example, up, down, front, back, twist, twist, compressed, extend. Like, right. We all have these eight basic ranges of motion. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this system does it like that. This system does it like that. You know, yeah. There's only so many ways you can move, you know. Right. And, you know, if I move my shoulder for my own practice, this may help me deal with my stress and tension. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it's very common for tense people to have their shoulders up. Correct. So if I explore ranges in my shoulder, I'm going to alleviate that stress and tension. And if I make ranges in my shoulder, I may also allow myself to take bigger breaths and uh, lower my heart rate or impact my blood pressure because I'm also massaging my heart and lung with sure. these movements. Right. If, if I do these movements with an intent, this could be a shoulder bump or a shoulder strike. Chen kao, bei kao, as we say in Tai Chi, mm-hmm. right? Uh, hitting with either the front or the back of the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, spiritually, 
I'm going to want to feel this space in my shoulders relax. I'm going to feel my neck open. And I want to sit comfortable in these postures and allow myself to be comfortable over time. Can I stand still for 10 minutes? Can I sit still for 10 minutes? Can I allow myself a, a comfortable structure to uh, rest in my spiritual practice? Mm -hmm. right? So just the shoulder and how I move my shoulder can show up for my personal wellness, can show up for my self-defense, can show up for my spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what you may see as moves that are similar to yoga or similar to Kung Fu, mm -hmm. you know, it's... It, it all categorizes as human movement, human expression. Right. And um, so, yeah, I, I like to think of movement in terms of function. Right. And so if, if you see these big rounded movements, I'm going to uh, promote circulation all the way to the ends of my extremities. Mm -hmm. If I'm round and soft, uh, that means that I, I keep soft, nourished joints as opposed to locked out rigid joints, you know, mm -hmm. so uh, yes, there's long, yes, there's round, but there's also short and linear and there's also, you know, it's, there's tight and compact, there's loose and long and everything in between. Right. And, uh, beyond style, because every style will have its pros and cons, its pluses and its limitations. Uh, I think it's appropriate for each individual to explore what's available to them. Mm -hmm. And um, that availability, if it's uh, uh, available for them to express themselves authentically through. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Good answer, man. Um, Did I kind of just pulled that out my ass. No, no, it totally worked, <laughs> man. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> you know, the finer point to that that I can make is take an example, five animal qigong. Okay. In our lineage, we have a five animal qigong. Mm -hmm. I am six foot five, 280 pounds, mm -hmm. quite big. My teacher is five foot four, 190, no, 120 pounds ish. Mm -hmm. And then Kung Fu brothers, Kung Fu sisters, uh, young, old, tall, small, everything in between. Guess what? We all do the form different. Yeah. You know, and appropriately so. Again, I'm six foot five, 200 plus pounds. If my teacher tried to move like me, he would hurt himself. Right. Uh, he's a master, but he has no business trying to move like me and my constitution by right. the same token. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try and mimic him because he's a third of my size. Yeah. I'm not going to try and do the stuff that he can do, but I can look at the principles of movement and explore those within me. And he can look at the principles of movement and explore those within him. And then she can look at the principles of movement and explore those within her. Mm -hmm. And then you can take a principle series of movements, five animal qigong, and it will show up differently mm -hmm. for every person. And that's celebrated, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in systems, they want it to be to the T. It has to be just like this, because yeah. Grandmaster did that you know, however long ago. And yep. I'm not a five foot two Chinese old man, but I need to move <laughs> like that. Everything right. needs to be aligned right. just like that. Yep. And then what ends up happening? Every year, every generation, every student says, oh, I'll never be as good as teacher. And the next generation, oh, we'll never be as good as teacher. And then every generation just gets what? Watered down. Yep. Dilutes it. Cause, yeah, because no one wants to grow. No one wants to evolve. And then so in that regard... I expect my students to be better than me mm -hmm. and I expect their students to be better than them. By the same token, my teacher blessed me. He says, do things that you do well and do them better than I do so that every wave can be bigger than the previous one. Mm -hmm. And in that way, the art can continue to grow. And what may look like long and curvy in our generation mm -hmm. may look like short and compact next generation, or may even from practitioner to practitioner. Yeah. It could all be the same style. It could right. all be the same system. Movement. Right. But it's going to show up different. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And that's celebrated. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, I agree with you 100%. And I would have to say also in you know my journey with martial arts, a lot of martial art teachers don't approach it that way. You know, and I think that's been like one of the biggest like heart, heart centered pains that I've had around, like I've seen in martial arts like that. I love that you said that, man, that you can, you know, for one, take into size, right? 
the different size of people and different builds of people. Some have long, narrow waists, some have big, thick bodied chests. You know, we're all built so damn different. So to hear that, that you have to, of course, like it's very logical to me, but um, like I said, it's not always there, man. Like the, the idea that you can adapt the art to your frame and that is to yeah. be celebrated is like so damn important yeah. to understand. And it's just, it's not <laughs> always pushed like that. You know, and I know you probably know that as well. Um, given your last, your last statement, right? It's like, no, it's this way specifically for everybody, you know, like you've got to do it this way. And that's just like phew, rigid dogmatic. And I, and I do, I feel like the art suffers something fierce. So that's, yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. And then to contribute yeah, to that, yeah, even within a particular style, again, for example, Changchun, long fist, mm-hmm. it has to be done long, mm-hmm. right? It's the, it's the trademark of the style. It's the signature of the style it has to be done long. But then that's great for spring and summer. Mm-hmm. What about fall and winter? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right, right. Seasonal and change. It's, it's, it's great when I'm a teenager, but maybe not so good when I'm in my fifties and sixties. Right. And then, so your movements should also reflect seasons. Mm-hmm. And seasons can show up morning, noon, evening, night. It could show up as spring, summer, when, uh, fall, winter. Right. It could show up as young teenager, young adult, elder. Right? Seasons are a real thing. Cycles are a real thing. And yeah. I think practice should also reflect that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because otherwise, Western athleticism, for example, you know, all they have is summer, 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 oh, go man. hard, jump hard, jump to- faster, to- go, go, summer, <laughs> summer. Totally. And, and, by the time they're 30, 40, they're over the hill, they're washed up, bodies riddled with injuries, yep. you know, 60, 70, good luck, you know? Yeah. And that's because all they know is summer. Mm-hmm. However, in the spring, i.e. mornings, you know, we should do revival movements, things to promote circulation, things mm-hmm. to promote healthy organs, things to promote uh, tissue elasticity, things to awaken the body first, yeah. um, things awakening. Summer, things are in bloom. Things are reaching for the heavens. So, yeah, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to sweat. I'm going to move right. my body. Uh, fall, now things are starting to come in. Things are starting to retract. Mm-hmm. And maybe after summer, maybe I endured some injuries. Maybe I worked too hard. And so if I want to prepare for winter, I'm going to use fall as a time to nourish and nurture and heal. So we practice medicine in the fall. Yeah. In the winter, when it's cold, that's the time we hibernate. So that's when we're going to do our meditation. That's the time we're going to do our standing practice. That's the time we're going to recite the classics. That's the time we're going to practice our calligraphy and our arts. Mm-hmm. And that's the time to nourish the bones. Right. Right. So that by the time spring comes around, oh, I'm ready for my qigong. I'm ready to open back up again. Yeah. And then throughout a year, my practice will reflect the greater cycles of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say, it's attributed to Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching. And it basically speaks to humanity follows the earth, earth follows heaven, heaven follows Tao, Tao follows its damn self. <laughs> and, you know, so, so as to speak, like if we really want to tap health, longevity, deep wisdom, yeah. we have to look beyond the human scope. And mm-hmm. so maybe to the natural environment that is here before us will be here after us. Maybe there's some wisdom there in that macro that we can distill in our micro. And, you know, that's where wisdom can be. And so we attribute that with practicing along with the seasons and, you know, following in line with the greater cycles of the cosmos. Absolutely. And it's, I love, I love, yeah, it makes a ton of sense, man. I, I, this, you're pulling stuff right out of my stuff while I use my clients. You know, I have their, their, their diets change, you know, during seasons. Once we kind of figure out what works for their body, that's one of the things we work on is like more warming foods in the wintertime when it's really cold outside, you know, not eating cold raw no, salads. No, no, watermelon. <laughs> yeah. Watermelon. Right. I love watermelon in the winter. From I'm Chile. like. Imported from Chile. Right. Right. I'm always like, stop that. Please don't do that. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you're, you're speaking to it. Um, you know, that was when I was in Tung Shu Dao, that, that because it was such a strong Chinese medicine thread in there, you know, they did the same thing. It was like the Fuhugong plyometric exercises were really emphasized in the spring when the tendons were strong. You know, we did a lot more Tai Chi and Qigong and meditation in the winter. So that yeah. was always a beautiful concept. And I loved that. Um, I don't know if it's exclusive to the Chinese martial arts, but I know a lot of, like you said, a lot of martial arts systems don't take that into account and they're pretty much training 
peak performance style all year, and then there's a that's a problem, you know, for usually people's digestion, their mindset, their joints. There's a lot of things that come with that. So I know you're hip to this, and I love that you said that because that really makes me feel good that, you know, just your lineage. And I figured you would, you know, given the extensive <laughs> background that you have, but it's really good to hear um, in real time that you're just, that's like what you're living in, in your teaching. That's so cool, man. Like, I'm so glad to hear that. And, you know, I have to ask, I just going back. So I know you're a big dude, but you're Asian and you're six foot five. That's a big, that's a big Asian. I mean, you're a big dude. Yeah. Like, so where did you yeah. get, where did you get your size? Just out of curiosity. Long grain rice. <laughs> Tons of rice. <laughs> long grain, long grain. Long rice. grain rice. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm half white. I'm a, I'm a rice cracker. Yeah. And so uh, I get it from my dad. And my dad was 6'4". My dad was a collegiate athlete. He played football. Mm. And so I kind of inherited some of that athleticism and size. But from my mom... Uh, though they're Taiwanese because of the revolution. Mm -hmm. My family is from Henan, which is northern China. And so we have a little bit of that Mongol influence. And so we're a bit bigger build too. And, you know, I was raised in Richmond, California, off steak and low-fat milk. And Mm -hmm. so I had had a very nutrient-dense upbringing. And so my bones are thick and my body is dense. Yep. I know how to eat. <laughs> yeah, you and me both, bro. You and me both. <laughs> well, dude, that's, I mean, that's, I love, um, I like that about you, man. That was one of the things, um, you know, I'm like, I'm 6'2", six, 6'3", six, somewhere in that range, you know, and I'm probably about 260. And I remember when I, when I was watching you years back, because Eden was like, yeah, he's a big dude like you. And I'm like, that's so nice, man, because a lot of, um, at least at that stage in my life when I was training martial arts, a lot of the hard style martial arts were like the emphasis. And I was really drawn to like the, the healing arts and the, you know, the Chinese systems. And the fact that you were a big framed guy doing it kind of gave me like, made me rest a little easier. I'm like, there's another big dude studying some of the oh. internal beautiful shit. You know, like this makes me feel good that like yeah. another big framed guy is going down this road. And, um, that, that was always cool to me. I was like, good. That's another big dude doing this, you know? So that was, that was validating in some way at that stage. Wow. Yeah. I'm really touched by that. Thank you. And it's funny that it's got triangulated by another big guy, Eden. You know, we're all tall. Yeah. Uh, And uh, I remember when I mentioned going from the fighting to the healing, Mm -hmm. I remember making that transition. And one of the schools that I went to initially was a Shaolin school. Mm -hmm. And I specifically went for traditional martial arts. And it's because of all the fighting that I did, sure, I could fight, but I couldn't touch my toes. Uh-huh. I, I had acne on my face. I was a deep mouth breather. Yeah. You know, and so uh, I didn't have my health. And so when I pursued the traditional martial arts and the standards for the basics were set, you know, horse stance, you mm-hmm. know, flexibility, coordination, balance, grace, you know, all these things starting to come into play. And here I am as a big, awkward dude. Uh, a little bit more insight being so tall people thought I'd be good at basketball but my nickname was triple dribble just because <laughs> horrible coordination and yeah. maybe you can relate to as a bigger guy yes. you know, having these limbs 100% yeah oh it was really hard for me to be coordinated mm-hmm. um, and just like you said there was a gentleman older than me taller than me heavier than me doing handstands, flips, yeah. jumps. He had a capoeira background. He had a breakdance background. <laughs> and I'm like, this what? big guy can move. Yeah. It's, it's okay. We can do this. Yeah. And so when you say that you get that from me, I'm really touched because it's from somebody else big and mobile that inspired me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, you're welcome, man. I mean, that it always spoke to me. And I think it's – um, I, I think – I think that's kind of like the, you know, like Vince Black was a big guy. You know, he wasn't, I think Vince was closer in the six foot one range, but his energy, I always thought he was taller than I was until I really stood next to him, but his energy just read really big. But being around big guys who move well, especially in the context of martial arts, I, I, whatever that theme is, you know, whatever that is, that's always kind of like 
triggered me and got me. It's also part of why I love Steven Seagal because he's a big dude. You know, he's a big, a big Aikido guy. When I was a kid, man, Steven Seagal was like, I was like, here's a big dude wrecking shop. Like he's big. He's not a little tiny guy. You know, he's a. He's he wasn't a, big back then. He was all thin back then. But he was Old tall. But he was tall. He's like okay. he, he's like six foot four. I think he's he's a big dude. Okay. Like he might even be six five. Like he's like your height. He's tall. But yeah, he was lanky. And then he got really wide. You know, later later in life. But but yeah, but that was the same kind of thing, right? It's like a big dude doing doing these things, and it was always great. Um, so if if we can kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, I would love to hear about your your Twina background. So um, you know, I I studied Twina in Tung Shri Dao for a bit, and. Okay. Um, I would love for you to kind of give context to what Twina is, because I think some of the I have a lot of Chinese medicine listeners, so they'll know what Twina is. But for people that don't, maybe give a little context and then maybe talk a little bit about specifically uh, your lineage of Twina and what, you know, how it works, what you've learned. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twina is a Chinese acupressure modality and uh, literally translates to brush and grab. Twina. Uh, in Chinese, if you were to say, I want a massage, you would say, uh, is, means massage, but it actually, it's the names of the techniques in the same way that feng shui, oh, we get that. That means interior decoration, whatever, <laughs> but feng shui translates to wind, wind and water. water. Yeah. Right. Yep. And through the name wind and water we get an idea of what the concept or what the principle of feng shui is it's mm-hmm. generate flow like that of wind and water yep and so tui na it's similar it means massage but to take the words tui na an mo is to brush grab press polish mm. and so the name kind of says what it is yeah right (laughs) right it matters (laughs) so then uh also worth mention is uh twina and chinna chinna would be the art of seizing grabbing related to joint locks submission holds dislocations Mm -hmm. and the like and then so chinna and twina are the exact same thing Mm -hmm mentioned earlier the fighting art is the same as the healing art the move the technique the principle of application angles of attack it's all the same shit yeah the only thing that's different is the heart set and mindset of the practitioner Mm -hmm. and so when you ask what is twena twena is a martial system of medicine uh, that's the way I could put it. Yeah. Uh, simply. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's five basic techniques: tui na an mo pai, brush grab, uh, press polish pat. Uh, tui brushing mm-hmm. is done for the level of skin. Na grabbing is done at the level of muscle. Mm-hmm. An Pressing is done at the level of bone. Mm-hmm. And so tui na an, the first three techniques go skin to muscle to bone. Mm-hmm. Our fourth technique, tui na an mo, mo is a polish. And this enables, enables us to come out, right? We go in skin, muscle, bone, layer mm-hmm. by layer, tui na an. So then mo is to come back out. Mm-hmm. So layer by layer. So follow me as, you know, we, we polish. This is the more technique. Yep. But, but if I were to use the heel, mm-hmm. that's a bone polish. Right. Mm-hmm. You at home at YouTube can try yourself. <laughs> you too can bone polish. <laughs> yeah. Right. Polish with this part and you feel that it actually goes quite deep. Yeah. On the other end, if you use your finger pads, mm-hmm. the prints, you'll feel that that's very surface. Right. It's very skin. Mm-hmm. But if you use ball in between that's actually kind of in between so we brush for the skin grab for the muscle press for the bone and then polish for the bone polish for the muscle polish for the The skin skin. yeah got it so we go in layer by layer 
we come out come layer by out. layer. Nice. Right. In the end, final dessert is pie to disperse to pat. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, if you have all your feathers on one side of a pillow, you pat the pillow and then it disperses the feathers. Right. Now you uh-huh. have an even pillow. So if I work on the shoulder and all the blood, all the chi, all the body heat, all the energy is here in the shoulder. Right. Maybe I could pat it out and disperse and, you know, make it neutral again. Uh-huh. And so those are our five basic techniques. Brush, grab, press, polish, pat. Mm-hmm. Skin, muscle, bone. And then come back. Come back out. Disperse. Mm-hmm. That answer your question? Yes. <laughs> what is that? that that's yeah. So then last thing I'll point is when we learn massage, specifically with styles, all too often we learn a sequence, a routine, uh, a kata, if you will. Yep. Right? Shiatsu. First you do this, then you do this, then you do that. Thai yoga massage. First you do this, then you do that, then you do this. Swedish oil massage. First you do this, then you do this, then you basically get a routine. Right. Um, however, the routine is very limiting, right? Routine may work really good on this young person, but here I have this old person, or here I have someone with fibromyalgia, or here I have somebody, you know, based on the condition, my routine may not be appropriate. And so with Twena, it's not so much of a routine, it's a series of tools. The tool of brush, the tool of grip, the tool of press. And consider you could do a whole session, two-hour session, just brushing. Mm -hmm. Someone may think that's boring, but if you call it skin exfoliation, if you call it lymphatic drain, you do a two-hour massage of just brush. Just that. And people will top dollar. If you do a a two-hour massage of just thumb pressure, Mm -hmm. you're going to be on technique number three right but you could also call it shiatsu and there's entire <laughs> systems yeah. around body mode just thumb pressure right and then so uh it's less of a, a style more of a set of tools mm-hmm. that depending on what presents itself we have something appropriate for the circumstance mm-hmm. if i have a broad surface area then I'm going to brush with a broad surface, grab with a broad surface, press with a broad surface. Right. If I have a fine surface, I'm going to brush with a fine tool, squeeze with a fine tool, press mm-hmm. with a fine polish and pat with a fine tool. Yeah. So brush, grab, press, polish, pat. It's just relative to what you're working on. Yeah. yeah. Which terrain, which terrain way, of the body you're touching, right? Exactly. What landscape I'm on, what's the climate, you know, Mm -hmm. I can modify my technique accordingly. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful concept that you just touched on, man. That's a beautiful explanation too. And I, I appreciate that you said that, um, you know, the, the climate, um, the climate, right. Of an area. And and I think that's kind of where the pieces that I really liked about Chinese medicine that they brought out were about, you know, dampness, dryness, coldness, you know, heat, and you can feel these things on a person's body, right? And, and that kind of gives you the framework, too, of if you think of the body as a landform or a terrain. This, I think that's one of the cool things about Chinese medicine, that they are always working that idea about, um, you know, as above, so below. Macro and micro link, you know, it's holographic in a sense. So, um, and I think that really establishes, I mean, a beautiful approach for one. Like, so you describing that, right? It paints a beautiful picture. But then it brings the art and the aliveness too to, to I think these systems and the way that the way they think about it like there's something really beautiful about that. I think coming from an art background, I've always loved that that they they do that. You know that it's not just it's not a mechanistic technique. It actually has like real I don't know. It's got juice behind it. You know, it's got a backbone to it. Um, so it's amazing. So I love I love the way you described that man. That's a really beautiful explanation of the twin now. When you um, when, when you acquired all of this you know you so you went from fighting you went to the healing you know you did all of your training you come off the mountain you come back and you're and you're teaching right you're like living here you know you get married and you're plugged back into real life quote unquote you know what have you seen in terms of getting these arts into the hands minds and bodies of americans like what's been the most challenging piece of that because i'm sure it hasn't been just all you know, easy. So I would love to hear like what's been, or if there have been challenges, what have they been in terms of like, you know, taking this ancient wisdom essentially mm-hmm. and making it, you know, modern and accessible for people. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I could speak to that is people love to learn. Mm-hmm. We are in an information age. People have broad interests these yep. days. Uh, people are very cultured. And um, uh, yeah, so I think people love to learn. People love to experience. People love to be engaged. People love to be entertained. People love to see, do, feel new things. And in that regard, um, there's no shortage of interest. Mm-hmm. You know, by and large, people that see the work, it's really easy to get them interested. Yes. Uh, so, so the interest is up. The willingness to learn is up. Where it's down is the willingness to practice. Mm-hmm. And my teacher would always say that learning this big, practice this big. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, it takes maybe three to five times, you know, going back to moving the shoulder. Sure. It takes about three to five times to promote circulation. Mm-hmm. It takes about a thousand times to get fluent and have it be comfortable. Mm-hmm. It takes about 10,000 times for it to be autonomous and second nature, mm-hmm. right? And what it is is just the reps, you know, I, I think... There's a quote attributed to Bruce Lee that sums it up perfectly. I don't care about the 10,000 things you did once. Yep. I care about the one thing you did 10,000 times. Correct. And so with regards to challenges here in the modern era, again, my Instagram feed is, you know, I got followers and people love the shit. And, you know, yeah, yeah. The interest is through the roof. Yeah. Who's sticking around and doing the work? (laughs) (laughs) Metaphor for life, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Who's doing the work, right? (laughs) Horse dance is easy to learn. Like, who's (laughs) going to stand it, though? Right. Right. Oh, man. So with with that, so, you know, acknowledging that and seeing that, that, you know, practice is sort of like the thing that that is um, lacking or maybe deficient in the culture, you know, um, and I'm not asking you from like a seminar you know, inspirational speaker, like, how do you fix that, David? But I mean, when you, when you think about that, like, as you wrestle with that, you know, what is the missing link? Like, what, what do you think is a piece of will get people inspired or um, activated or, you know, forward moving to really embrace practice? Because I know from a lot of people I talk to the practice, the biggest thing I hear, okay, like the biggest, the biggest, like, excuse more or less. And I think sometimes it's true. People are just like, the time, you know, I just don't have any time. And that's always people default to this. I don't have time to practice for something 10,000 times. I don't have, you know, that's one of the things I hear, but I would love to hear like, yeah, what do you think's the missing link? Like what, what do you need? What, what do people need to hear to get to the point where it's like, damn, practice is really fucking valuable and I need to do it. Or, I, you know, maybe it makes them want to do it, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. <clears throat> well, that's a really juicy topic and we can take it any number of directions. Um, However, I think one that I play with a lot, one analogy I I play with and share with a lot is uh, one of how fortunate we are Mm -hmm. to actually have stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if we trace back to antiquity, antiquity, specifically these Chinese practices, like who was doing these things? It was the wealthy elite Mm -hmm. and it was the monastic and the hermits. Mm-hmm. Right. By and large, the people that lived in the monastery, the people that were spiritual and you know, did the hermit thing, they had these practices to explore a spiritual path. On the other end of the spectrum, you had the wealthy, rich elite, the aristocrats. They practiced it because they wanted to stay healthy and they wanted to enjoy their power longer. Mm-hmm. Right. And so who's in the middle? The average peasant, the average worker, the average farmer, the average craftsman, the average, you know, skilled laborer, the average person mm-hmm. that is too busy to practice, that doesn't have the resource, that doesn't have the time, that doesn't have quality instruction, that doesn't have an understanding of value, that doesn't have any access to these arts. And then so, you know, kind of introducing people to the concept that we as everyday people to have access to this work is actually quite the blessing. Yeah. And granted, still, people don't have time, people don't have resource, people don't have space, people don't have energy to train. 
and this is a reality. And so with that regard, uh, I encourage people to explore the concept of integration. No one has time to practice, but we all have time. So as to say, if I'm going to tie my shoe, because I'm going to tie my shoe mm-hmm. at least once a morning, yeah. I, can, I can bend over and stretch and use that as an opportunity to stretch my hamstrings. Mm-hmm. While, while I'm brushing my teeth, I'm going to brush my teeth for a good five minutes if I listen to my dentist. Maybe that's time that I can stand in a horse stance. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and just kind of finding ways to integrate the practice into my day-to-day life. Because otherwise, no one has time. And so, unless I find ways to practice my Tai Chi as I cut my vegetables, as I vacuum my floor, as I wait at the stop, as I wait for my water to boil, as I'm cooking my my food, like, unless I find ways to make practice life, not going to have time. Yep. Well, and I... That's great, man, because I mean, and, it, and it's like it goes back to that cliche cliche saying that, right, they, they say it's like, you know, training isn't just for the dojo. It's like, you know, when you walk into life, the training should right, ideally facilitate and should move out of the dojo or out of the training space. And that's exactly right, man. That's, uh, you know, I have a daughter. My daughter's three and a half years old and she's a little sweet angel, you know, and they are time consuming as all hell. You know, like kids are just like they chew up a ton of resources and time and energy and fire and and your chi and your jing, like, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so tired. But, you know, the thing I've, I've realized with her is that like, you know, when I pick her up, it's what exactly what you said, right? It's like, where's my weight? You know, when I'm, when I'm cooking, when I walk and I try to, I've ex- tried to share that idea with people. And I think it's a really great concept. And I think it's one that's um, foreign until you're confronted with the constraints of time, right? Until you're, until you're basically forced into that spot where you're like, yeah, I don't, I can't disappear for eight hours, you know, this one day to go do, um, the form training as much as I would like, or as deep as I would like. So I really think that's a really valuable insight you just shared, man, to like integrate. And it, and also to kind of add to that, if I'm hearing you right, it's like being opportunistic in your thinking, like, where are the opportunities for me to do this? Like, where, where can I squeeze in a little bit of juice here? Where can I extract a little nectar from my, my practice? Yeah. 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 And to add to that thought, you know, who has had to go, you know, practitioner across all art, not just martial arts, but a yoga, but uh-huh. a share, whatever you do, find margin. Yeah. Because people have to, people have lives, people have <laughs> to do. So when it comes to these fun extracurricular things, I'm loving an hour or two a week. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and I recognize that my space is very special and that I had an opportunity to really immerse that for a few years. And I said that's luxury. You know, people can't even spare five minutes, much less five years. You know? Right, right. And so to that, to that and um, I say don't do the hour long stretches don't do the intensives don't do the two hour class Yeah. one it takes a lot of motivation right it's a big tax of motivation will mm-hmm. to go to these I might get sick after right and that's to take motivation away because I deal with soreness so maybe instead of doing one big chunk of time what if I did five minutes 10 times through the day. Right. And then in terms of volume, the volume will be the same. And I may be doing small manageable chunks, but through the repetition day, I actually foster new neural pathways, actually gain fluency and develop a skill quite fast. Mm -hmm. Because I do a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, all as opposed to one once a week right and so again with the conversation of integration and opportunistic putting a timer on your phone for one hour or that goes off treat myself to two minutes of practice yeah you know and then that could be full access point mm-hmm. and then that way I still get the time in still volume in still get the repetition in and it still meets my lifestyle 
Absolutely. No, Ben, beautiful words, um, great advice. And I think it's, I think that's one of the few ways or one of the most important ways I should say, like the arts are going to, I think, continue to move forward is that I think that mindset's going to have to be, um, what you're talking about right there, because the time is different now, right? We're not living in ancient times. And I think just the, where technology has taken us to the mind is so scattered people, you know, they're so frenetic in their thinking and their awareness that I think those smaller sound bites are going to be kind of, um, it's, it's a piece of the package. It's like the way it's going to look, I think nowadays, especially like as we move forward, there's going to be more of that. Um, well, David, you know, kind of in like closing and wrapping this up, you know, Mike, our connection is getting kind of crummy. Um, you have frozen and you were cutting out your audio was going in and out. We still, I still got it, but it's starting to break. So I think like (laughs) the technology gods here are saying (laughs) that this is closing, but kind of in the closing, man, is there anything that you would like to, um, either a concept that we talked about that you'd like to reintroduce or anything you'd like to revisit or kind of sum up, um, in sort of a larger message to people listening that maybe haven't been exposed to, to, to Gung Fu practice that the, the martial practice, I should say, um, that are, that are new to this. Um, is there an invitation that you'd like to give people? <laughs> uh, eat food, share with friends, enjoy life. Uh, uh, my, one of my students, he said something really profound, and he said, we should train. Say that one more time, man. We should train the audio cut out. We should, we should repeat what your students said. Uh, we should train what? We train every day so that we can train every day. Mm. It's worth repeating. <laughs> we can train every day so that we can train every day. There we go. And yep. uh, yes. the goal, the goal other than to do it, do it is the goal. Mm. More you move, mm. the less you move, less you can. When people are getting started, Enjoy yourself. Enjoy it. The more you do it, yeah. The more you do, the more benefit you get. Yeah. That just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Well, you 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 share a similar thread with um, one of my teachers, man, Lillian Bridges. That's one of her overriding themes: is that life is meant to be enjoyed. And when that when when you enjoy the process, you enjoy your training, you enjoy your food, you enjoy your relationships. That fire, right? The shen and the heart that fire element is nourished and we write things, we get a little easier. Discipline becomes um, kind of a natural byproduct because we're enjoying what we're doing. So I think that's a, those are beautiful words, man, to like consider. Well, David, man, I really appreciate your time. Um, I really appreciate what you're contributing to the martial arts world, just what you're doing, you know, with your center, your platform, um, your presence, man. I dig it. I've always wanted to talk to you like this and sit down. So I feel, I feel honored and privileged to have gotten this time with you finally. Um, if people want to follow, if they want to follow you, man, like where, where can, if they want to keep track of you and they're like, Oh, I want to hear what, you know, David Way's up to, like, where can they, uh, where can they find you? Don't, don't look for me. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't even look. I'm, I'm busy enough. <laughs> yeah. Don't look for me. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, we have a closed academy. We find, we intentionally don't have online listings. We intentionally, uh, hide yeah yeah and you know, again speak information age you know you can click right swipe pull click and all of anything you ever want to know is right at your fingertips mm-hmm. so information is everywhere what yep. we lacked in my and uh, i want to make myself hard to find so it's the inspired people that come in yeah. Not just people, oh, what's this? You know, soup du jour flavor of the day. Yeah. No, I want people that aren't. Yeah. So we make ourselves hard out of our weeding out process. So that said, I'm not going to tell you where to find me. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough, man. You know, it's a, it's an honest answer. And I, and I appreciate it, man. It's pretty much the antithesis to like the business model nowadays. You know, it's like, come find me, you know? So, um, 
Yeah, man, we'll leave it at that. I, li I like that answer, and it's a it's a good one. It's an honest one. So, well, I also want to say too that um, if I invite myself for another conversation because this is so fun. Yes, and a lot of fun bullshitting with you. Yeah, but we also had some things like uh, we're going to talk about she gone and TCM being bullshit. Yes, and uh, I really like those conversations. Yes. Yeah. And um, I, and I, and I want yeah. you to know that I didn't, I didn't forget that it's literally a function of, you know, you're freezing and every other word is getting chopped out. And I'm like, uh, you know, like we're, we're, we're literally just not getting it. So the technology is saying no, but absolutely 100%. I will commit to you to another episode. We will sit down. We will talk about TCM being bullshit and Qigong being bullshit and what you mean by that. Because now people are like, oh, you can't leave us with that. Like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> so that's a good cliffhanger, man, to, to leave to leave the uh, the audience. So I appreciate it, man. Thanks again for your time. I really, I really appreciate it, man. Good. Follow, like, subscribe. <laughs> if you can find me. All right, man. Take it easy. Okay. All right. Cool. Bye. Cheers.